You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. We are back in the book of Romans today. If you want to find a copy of your scripture, find Romans chapter 12 once again. And head there yourself, Romans chapter 12. It's going to be verses 3 through 8. Verses 3 through 8. Before we get there, I've got a little makeup work, two pictures, one from last week. Guess where we were? Collins aren't here this week. We were in Jamaica, Mon, and uh, Houston got that, wherever Houston is, somewhere back there. Okay, so Houston's picture made it up here, the Jamaican flag. Great to hear what God is doing and how he worked, even through a one-week venture of uh, Jeff Bow and Weston down there. Two weeks ago then, I got a picture from uh, Kelsey Skifter, I believe it was, and this is kind of widened out. It's not that wide, but she's got a picture, I think, of Calvary there in the cross, in the cross of Christ, which is really central to even what we're studying here uh, today, that we're studying um, our unity and our, our, our gifting within the body, but it's all centralized. You'll hear this in the oneness that we have in Christ, and so appreciate Kelsey's picture there. Um, can't remember if those are birds up there or clouds, what those were, but anyway, great to have those pictures from, from all you kids, so... Well, let's come to God's Word. We're Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and then through 8 here in this section. Let's listen to what God has to say to us through the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes In generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray again. Lord, we do come to these these ancient words, and yet they are words that you have preserved, Lord, through martyrs uh, to this day. It's your revelation before us, Lord, to read and learn who you are, to learn of your attributes, and to learn of salvation, and to learn... Today, what does it look like to live as the body of Christ, the church? So, Lord, would you just work in this time by your Spirit, who gives spiritual understanding to the things of you, guide us through this time. Um, Lord, help us to hear your word. Lord, convict where there needs to be conviction or where we need to believe something more strongly or think rightly, really. Help us to do that. And we need your help, for we battle against this flesh against our mind, and yet we want to follow you, Lord, to live sacrificially. So help us to do that as we think and study on this particular section today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have noticed the coat hanger up here. I don't normally bring things up to the stage, but I did today. And you're thinking, boy, we gave Pastor a week off. I had a week off yes, last week to listen to Jamaica, and now we're talking about coat hangers this week. 
These are fascinating tools, are they not, coat hangers? Uh, it's, it's not flashy. It's pretty mundane. It never cries out to be known, really. Um, there are plastic ones, which I did not bring. This is a great metal. Maybe there's less and less of these these days, but you have a bunch of them or maybe a dwindling amount because you can actually use them for a lot of things. So mostly they're for hanging. That's hence the word, the, the coat hanger, hanging things. You could hang your coat on it or hang a T-shirt or a tie could go over it or like your old gym clothes that need to dry out, you hang those on there. You've done art projects, you hang stuff on there. This week, though, this is why I'm bringing this up. You've all done this, right? You found the other uses for this hanger. These things are all, they're great. They're, I mean, it's like a multi-tool that you've got. And you can hang. I was in one place this week, and I was, like, trying to get something. And lo and behold, the coat hanger. I want to hit you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, uh, can does, does that too. But uh, anyway, it, it can grab things, you know, and go places. And just a multiple use of coat hangers. Okay. So, we'll leave that there. Think on that as a coat hanger. There we go. See if it stays. Uh, In a way, I think it's a great illustration even for us as a body of Christ, even though the body is a great illustration. We're going to talk about that. Romans 11.36, if you look back just a couple verses, that kind of forms the main goal, what we're created to do. We're not created to be a coat hanger, but run with the illustration. We're created to bring glory to God. We're all hangers in that sense. Our mission, we are created to bring glory. One of the, the first mission of our church is to exalt the Lord. And Romans eleven thirty six says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So God is to be glorified in our lives as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But within the body of Christ, this church, God has distributed various coat hangers, if you will members of the body of Christ who are tools, you are instruments for His glory using various giftings by God. And so these tools and these instruments, as we looked at last time we were in this section, last time these tools and instruments are to be actually living sacrifices. That that bending maybe of a hanger where the plastic hangers just aren't going to bend for you and be so multi we're to be bendable for the Lord, a living sacrifice. What, what way do you need me to serve, Lord, sacrificially and so bend that way and whatever to fit the need or that tool? We're to follow Christ. We're, we're, as it said, we're not to conform to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renovation, really, of our mind. And that mind renovation, if you think of that, the renewal of the mind has implications that go out to the body of Christ, to the church. And that's Paul's outlook here in verses 3 through 8. So, pardon the pun, I want to hang, just had to go with it, hang three thoughts on this text. If you've got a hanger, hang three thoughts that we're going to just work through the text here. Number one thought is to think humbly. So number one, it's going to be, we're going to think about thinking humbly. Number two, think as a member. There's all various ways of thinking here. Think humbly. Think as a member. That is, a member of the body of Christ. And then number three, think to be used. Kind of maybe an odder phrase. Think to be used. That is, think about the gifts God has given you and how you are using them in the midst of the body. 
All right, so think humbly, think as a member, think to be used. Let's head back to verse 3 and work through the text where it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul begins this section and he says, by the grace given to me, which really, I think it could be connected, this grace could be connected to Paul's, um, others point out, Paul's apostleship. You can find this in the beginning of the book of Romans where grace and apostleship. So by this grace, this grace and apostleship given to Paul. And yet we're also going to see through this passage, God's grace has been apportioned or given to each member of the church. And so there's kind of Paul saying, by the grace given to me, and then he's going to talk to the church, the greater church, about the grace given to the church. Grace is both, it's God's unearned blessings to save sinners. We are saved by grace and grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and so forth. And yet, through this, also God's grace is at work, a working grace within the church. And so by grace, Paul here, he's addressing all the church at Rome. It says, everyone among you. And perhaps, I don't know, maybe he's addressing a certain problem in the church at Rome that he had heard about. He doesn't mention any names right here. He doesn't spell out a situation, but maybe he has something in mind. Um, But whether it's a current problem or not, Paul's calling here, he's calling what? It's on this way of thinking that's going to affect the entire body. So church, it's like he's telling the church through this letter, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, or think humbly. It's interesting, in the English you've got the word, the actual English word, at least in the ESV, think three times. In the Greek, there's a version of the word to think actually four times within one verse three here. So Paul, he's right on the heels of verse 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I don't think mind and thinking is exactly the same word, but the same idea there, isn't it? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and then he gets right to work. How? How ought you transform? be transformed by the renewal of your mind? Do not think more highly than you ought. And so here lies the problem of each one of us and the remaining, the, the, the remaining sin that remains until one day we're transformed into glory to be with the Lord, this pride or a tendency to self-exaltation, boy, look at, I, I am doing pretty good actually. So-and-so's not, but I am. Or maybe just having too high, just, yeah, the self-opinion. So the first sacrifice, be a living sacrifice that one needs to, to act on in terms of being a living sacrifice is to... Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Sacrifice your pride, yourself in the church and how you live. This is interesting, though, because you've got the word ought there, more highly than he ought to think. So there's not a kind here, uh, it's not a kind of self-hating yourself or beat yourself up because Paul says not to think more highly than he ought to think. So it seems to imply here humility, thinking humbly. It doesn't cancel out who God has created you to be. You're made in the image of God. Even Jesus says, says, consider the lilies, consider the birds. Are you not of more value than they? 
Or he says, will he, will he, the Lord, not much more clothe you? So there's this, there's this thinking as you ought. Think humbly, but then don't, don't also just, you know, totally just beat on yourself. In terms of sin, Paul says, wretched man that I am, right? But who, who are we? John Murray helpfully writes this. Let me just read from him because he, he, he talks about both extremes here. See if this makes sense. He says, If we consider ourselves to possess gifts we do not have, then we have an inflated notion of our place and function. We sin by esteeming ourselves beyond what we are. There's kind of this pride and look at who I am. And, but, but he also says, But if we underestimate ourselves, then we are refusing to acknowledge God's grace and we fail to exercise that which God has dispensed for our own sanctification and that of others. God is giving gifts. We want to think humbly about them, but also use them. So both ways of thinking, they're not, they're not right. To boast in pride, think so highly, that's not Christ-like thinking. Remember Philippians, where it says, Christ, being God himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But as we're going to see, God's equipped each of us in the body of Christ. And so the call here, use that gifting. Do you have skills? Do you have insight? Person at whatever, use what he has given. Paul here says to not think more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Think soberly. Think or in other words, think seriously or sensibly, or maybe along the lines of think self-controllingly. Uh, James Denny is quoted here and says this. He says, to himself, every man is in a sense the most important person in the world. Isn't that kind of our bent? It, it's, it's not hard to love me. I'm, I'm me. We're the most important person. I. He says, and it always needs much grace to see what other people are and to keep a sense of moral proportion. We can so easily, in two wrong ways, compare ourselves to others. Maybe we look at we're better than others, or then we look at, boy, I am not like that, and so we're just downcast. Either way is not right. So we want to look to the Lord. Denny here, he's getting at a right view of the self. Think humbly, and then then look at others. Look at how God is graciously working among each of us, every row here, every person here, every age here, that God is at work. And so we're to think with this, this sober judgment. And then it says, this, this is a little harder phrase, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. According to the measure of faith God has assigned. Interestingly, the Greek word here for measure is metron. You can hear in there, maybe metric or sounds like, like meter. Measurement, this measure of faith. Questions might be, what is this measure of faith? Um, it can sound like Paul's pointing, and maybe you could lean this way, towards a certain kind of a quantity or a capacity of faith, like someone has great faith, someone has small faith. I'm not sure that's going on. John Murray, again, doesn't see quantity here, but he, he sees a sphere. I've got to pronounce it right, but that's a, that's a helpful way to think about this. A sphere a measure of faith, a sphere in which God has assigned even you. Here's what he says. That which is here implied involves limitation to the sphere of activity to which each particular gift assigns its possessor. 
Now, that doesn't make sense. Let me just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says this. He says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us. Catch that there? This area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. There's this area of influence. You might say area, this measure of faith, this sphere where God has assigned each of you, where the Spirit is working in God's church. It's a little harder to understand, but I think the context, and especially the next illustration here, will help us see the thinking Paul's got in mind. Because it begins, verse 4, begins with a 4, so it's connected here. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are to think as a member. Here's the second hanger. Think humbly, think as a member of the body of Christ, that is, the church. And the image, again, it's this one of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, we see this as well. Many parts, not all parts of the body. How many parts are you using even just sitting there right now? Parts of the body are doing their work. And they don't all have the same function. So the head is not the foot. And the foot is not the lungs. And the lungs are not the femur or the the pinky finger, all these different parts. This illustration of the body, it's just, it's a great illustration, number one, because unlike the coat hanger, you walk around with this illustration all the time. I'm pretty sure all of you walk in your body wherever you go. You're, it's just there. You can, you can look right now and go, yeah, this, I, I understand what Paul is getting at. So it's a helpful. You, you literally can't run away from this illustration of the body and the many members. Each part of the body is unique and assigned by God. Each part, so it is with the church. The parts and members of the body of Christ, the church, are critical to the functioning of the church. In fact, you've got, if you've got ESV, you've got at the end of verse 4, do not all have the same function. I can't remember what it is in the other versions. It's this idea of a sustained activity that is active, I think, is maybe, maybe the meaning here. That, that is, if you think of your body, your leg, your arms, your head, your heart, they, they don't get a week's vacation every year like, I'm taking the week off, never mind, I was a leg for all the, the other 52, you know, 51 weeks of the year, I'm taking the week off, I'm just tired. Some of you... There are. There's issues with all sorts of different parts of your body. It feels like it, they took a vacation. But it's, it's body. You get the idea of the body all working together. So legs or arms, they can't function again one day out of the year and say, I, you know, so relate this to the church. You know, I fun, well, I did that thing, that one thing. I guess I can take the rest of the year off. It's active. It's part. It's functioning. It's the part of the body. And again, not to make light, some of you are dealing with very physically body-type things. But again, it, it, I think it just shows this illustration of the body. And when there's, when there's trouble in that body, how, how debilitating it can be. So, there's many parts, there's many members. But take note, counting-wise, take note, verse 5. So we, though many, are, how many? One body, it says. There is 
There is a oneness. There is a unity. And where does Paul connect that to? Right where we would expect him to. He connects that unity, that oneness to Christ and Christ alone. Apart from Christ, we have no unity. We're just a bunch of people hoping to get along. It's Christ that gives us the unity together. He is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up. That's interesting. Again, puffed up, maybe boasting. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. That's Colossians 2 verse 19. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So yes, we are horizontally in that sense. We are members one to another in the body of Christ. But our oneness comes from the one we hold fast to, and that is Christ. Christ is to be exalted. We are not to be exalted. And so here I just want to pause and ask you personally, are you part? Are you even part of the body of Christ? I don't mean are you part of the local gathering. Are you part of the church, the global gathering of those belonging to Christ and, and us who exercise that locally as Bethany Bible Church? Are you part of the body of Christ? Again, not meaning are you sitting in a chair today? Are you here today? I mean, are you truly a Christian? Have you recognized, have you turned from your sin? Say, I hate that sin. You've seen that. And then by faith, receive the gift of salvation. It's what Christ came to do. It's why He humbled Himself to, humble, to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And it's that cross, it's that atonement, it's that death there in our place that by faith we look to Him and so we're forgiven of our sins and we can live eternally with the Lord. His presence with us now and into eternity. So the church is not, it's not everyone everywhere. The church is made up of those who belong to Christ. Consider this. Think on this. Are you in Christ? So we're to think humbly. Think as a member of the body of Christ. And then as we get into verses 6 through 8, think then to be used. Think to be used in the church. Let me read these last verses here. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Note here, what are these? These are, uh, second word in verse 6, having what? Gifts. They're gifts. The church and you who belong to, the Christ, to Christ in church, you have gifts you did not earn. At least one commentator has pointed out these are, these are grace gifts where you hear the word charisma or charismatic with an emphasis on, on gifts. It's the, it's the Greek word for gift, charis or grace, gift or grace really. These are gifts God gives as God assigns. So the implication here says let us use them. 
I don't want to throw you that phrase, let us use them. It's, it's not in the original Greek, but it, it's as if it's there. It's, it's an implied statement because there's all these uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if prophecy, service, the implication here of the translators is so use them, put them to use, and what, that's what you've got here. And Paul lists seven gifts here in Romans in this chapter, seven of them. I won't go through all in detail. The, the, the first one, prophecy, could probably use its, its, its own sermon. In my notes for this, coming up to this, I've got about three pages of study notes, three and a little more of study notes, just on the gift of prophecy. So there's certainly more that could be said here in understanding and today. Let me just try to give a brief synopsis of what I am learning, studying, condense it down. More could be said. So first... This, in terms of this gift, this, this prophecy, what is it? What defines it? I think we're safe to assume, and what's helpful as I study this, the New Testament prophet, this gift of prophecy, was essentially no different than the Old Testament prophet. So this is one, the prophet, you think of one speaking the words of God, a mouth, mouthpiece for God, kind of in this idea of thus says the Lord. So the prophet speaks as, as if God is speaking. That's called forth-telling, speaking forth. And the prophet may also speak, and we see this in the New Testament as well, speak of something future to, to happen, something that, that will happen in the future. That's foretelling. So there's this forth-telling. Here's what God has said. There's foretelling. Here's what's going to happen. There's a, there's a guy named Agabus that's talking to Paul. This is going to happen to you, and so forth. So we see these two things. And it would seem prophecy... Was, was a revelation. It was revelatory in what was said. Now you can write these down. If you go back to Deuteronomy 13, chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it lays out guards for anyone who would say, I'm a prophet. That, that's me. There's guardrails for this. So if one is a true po- prophet, what he says will happen. If it does not happen, he is not a prophet. However, if what one says does happen, and yet in that he leads people away from the true God, he is also a false prophet. And what's the consequence, Old Testament-wise, for false prophecy? The consequence was death. This was a big deal to, be, to consider yourself a prophet. The consequence was to be death. So no true prophet of the Lord ever erred. Okay, so that maybe helps define it a little bit. The major question, really, as I come to this, and I'm reading it, you know, along with you and going, okay, we've got prophecy here. Is it for today? Is this a gift we ought to be looking for today? Now, in this debate, there's maybe there's more than two camps, but there's at least two camps of godly, godly men who believe the Bible, say this is God's inerrant word, see things differently in terms of this continue. So continuationists, maybe you've heard that word before, they would say all the gifts, maybe most I think say except apostles, all those gifts that we see in the New Testament that we read about, they all continue for today. Those are, that's a continuationist. A cessationist, cessationist would say certain gifts like prophecy here have ceased, that they have ceased to be in the sense that they were used in this in this first century church and going back to the, the Old Testament as well. 
Sam Waldron. If you want a helpful book, I think it's helpful. It's a smaller book. He's got a Sam Waldron helpful book that's helped me. Looked at some stuff from John MacArthur in this. His book's called To Be Continued, Are the Miraculous Gifts for Today? That's really, you know, the question. That's the question we're asking. And his basic claim is that if the gift of apostle does not continue, which seems likely it doesn't or it doesn't, then it's likely the other gifts don't as well, such as prophecy. Some gifts do, some don't. Think about this. This was what was helpful to me. If, if the New Testament prophet is essentially the same as the Old Testament prophet, then this gift of prophecy, it carries enormous weight. If you, somebody claims, well, I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy. If you look back, scripturally, there is weight to that claim, enormous weight. Someone says, God told me to tell you this, or God says this, and it's not from scripture. There is a high high bar in terms of what that one would say, and it had better be true. But even those of the the continuationist camp would say, well, there's some prophecy today. They'd admit they don't don't always get it right. It's not always maybe there's an impression here or something. I see this. I'm not sure if it's right. That kind of, I don't think that fits what prophecy biblically is. And so I think seeing the New Testament prophet in light of the Old Testament prophet, that's what Sam Waldron does in his book, look back to look forward is really helpful. It's not, though, that we don't have prophecy today. We're not without it. It's just you've got it already. It's sitting in your lap it's, or on your phone or whatever. It's God's Word. You have 66 books, prophetic books, revealing who God is. And they are ours to read and to listen and hear from all the days. And probably less than what we would be ashamed to say. You know, so it, rather than looking for some, prof, some word out there, God's given us his word. So prophecy in that way, the word of God, it's not ceased. And I lead, lean in heavenly. I, I was probably... I used to be probably more, more, maybe there's parts of me, open, you'd say open but cautious. I'm open to the gifts. I'm really cautious of some of their use, speaking in tongues. We're not in all those things here in Romans 12. But as, as I'm studying here, I'm just seeing this more. I think these have seized, if you look back contextually, you get some help. It's a, it's a, wide, a wide study. One helpful passage for me, Ephesians 2, it was brought out, Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20 is helpful, where it says, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are members of the church. Verse 20 says, Built on the foundation, this is interesting, of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I remember studying this maybe in Sunday school class. I thought, apostles and prophets. Built on the apostles, New Testament, prophets, Old Testament. Don't think that's what prophets means built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets again noted by others prophets doesn't mean old testament but those of the new testament it was a gift think to the early church in lieu of the completed canon of our scripture but then as god's revelation here it's given these 66 books no more no less there's no longer need for this future revelation so what you hold in your hand it is sufficient to know god it is more than sufficient. I'm going to get, let Sam Waldron 
He kind of offers a summary type statement. I'll let him speak here. He says, Prophets in the Old Testament were a clearly identified and regulated institution that contributed prominently to the formation of the Old Testament canon. There is not reason to think New Testament prophecy is fundamentally different than Old Testament prophecy. There is, in fact, every reason to think it is fundamentally the same. Since biblical prophets were foundational, quotes from Ephesians, or notes, Ephesians 2, where we just were, 2.20, since biblical prophets were foundational, infallible, and canonical, then prophecy has ceased. Again, godly men and women, they differ here. Um, I don't know, we take a certain stand as a church on on what you have to believe it, you know, in this sort of, in this area, and even in this study, study, I'm growing in my understanding here of this. But I would believe this one has ceased. All right, now, we cut out a song today. I just got all sorts of time. I guess I could have gone into more, but no. You've got this rest of the list. Okay, will we take that long with every the six other gifts here? No, but I think that's okay because I think what Paul's got here. It's a broad list, and I don't think it's exhaustive. It's not like, well, here's the seven. You better get one of these, or you don't have any more gifts. But there's a listing of gifts, and I think Paul has even a general purpose here. Let's just think about the list. It includes, you've already seen it. Some of these are maybe, maybe easier than, than where we just were with prophecy. There's serving. There's teaching. There's exhorting. Maybe we don't think that, of that one often, or this idea of urging strongly exhortation, urge someone. Uh, it has the word para in it, like almost like call alongside, like let's go, come on, you're a believer, let's, let's do this, this exhortation. There is contributing, and how, Paul says, giving of the resources in generosity, generously giving. There's leading. Paul clarifies, what kind of leading? Well, leading with zeal. Or in other words, leading with, with diligence or leading eagerly. Or uh, the Greek words, I think, spedo. You think of speed, maybe. Leading with, just do it. Go lead. Go do it with zeal. Don't, don't be shy. Lead out, Paul would say. And then the one who shows mercy. This is great. Uh, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the Greek here, the, the word sounds like hilarity. When's the last time you showed mercy to someone like this? Is awesome. I, I'm going to love to show you mercy. Is that how we show mercy? I think we're like, all right, I will have mercy if you're repentant enough or whatever. There's just this, maybe this, we're looking down with mercy. This says, do, when you show acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. I'll have mercy, gladly have mercy on you. Well, the Christian can say that because God has showered his mercy on us. Or even... Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God so we can show mercy gladly because we've been given mercy. Now, there's lists that are elsewhere. You can find one in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 4, or 1 Peter 4. I like what John MacArthur says, though, comparing the list here. He's comparing it to 1 Corinthians 12, another list. He says this. He says, the emphasis in each list is not on believers identifying their gift perfectly. That kind of, okay, just take that load off. <laughs> just, there's gifts. There's, they're not exhausted. He says, but what? What's the emphasis? But on faithfully using the unique enablement God has given each. The fact that the two lists differ 
clearly implies the gifts are like a palette of basic colors from which God selects to blend a unique hue for each disciple's life. Isn't that a great image? God has given these gifts. They're not exhaust. These, oh, this, this one's listed here, but not here. You can compare them, do all that. This palette of colors as the master and the potter colors each and says some, some zeal here, some mercy as the Spirit gives these things. So I don't think, I mean, we could go through, you could study each one, look at them very carefully. Study of Scripture, it's always worth it. But to also consider just broadly, how has God gifted you and the various gifts He has given to the church? I thought on this a little bit, and let me get a little bit specific, specific about some of these. What about serving? What about serving in the nursery? I'm not sure if they're seeing this this morning, but there are people back there. You have been back there serving by taking care of crying babies that are just too much for an aisle to deal with, and they're caring for them. They could be in here maybe wanting to just have a Bible open, just a quiet, I want to just take notes, study, think, worship, and yet they're back in the nursery serving, and we're thankful for that. Perhaps God has gifted you in the ability to do certain things with wood. You're just good at wood-type things. And we've got some preschool chairs that need some wood-type care. Maybe that's, maybe that's a gifting that God has given in that way. You see, there's some specific things of serving and how God uses your unique personality. Maybe, maybe it's that you don't have much money, you don't have skills, but you've got some time. I, I do have some time. Perhaps there's one of those that can't make it here on a Sunday that you could go visit and simply just sit down and chat for an hour and encourage. You know, here's a Bible verse I've been looking at and encourage. What a gift of serving those in the body that can't particularly be here. In our time here, I've seen people work on somebody else's car. I've seen them fix light bulbs. I've seen them hold babies or pick up a mess somewhere. You see, these aren't just the lofty, I shall lead, I shall teach, I shall. It's widespread, and it's each one. So, the point is no matter the gift, use it. Let us use them. And if you're going to serve, then do it with excellence. If you're going to teach, the call to all teachers, do it excellently. Peter will say, serve in the strength God supplies. Do it with excellence. Exhort. If you're going to exhort, then just go boldly in it. Or you're going to give, then just do it generously. Not holding back. Yeah, just generously give. By faith, trusting God will provide. Or leading boldly. Or have fun being merciful. I want to close and consider here 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, because it talks about gifts there. And he says this. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. You are a steward of God's grace, so use it. He lists some. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And here it is. Why? Why serve? Just so we can look like, wow, that church really serves. What's the point? In order, Peter says, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's about God's glory. 
So our hangers. Number one, I won't get this back. It'll probably be used somewhere else or whatever, but number one, think humbly. You're a coat hanger in the service of a master. Think humbly. Don't think of yourself as the most worthy hanger. I'm the best-looking coat hanger around here. But don't sit back as well and say, I don't, I don't know. I kind of look like this. I'm not sure it's going to. It's God that's at work in our gifts. Think humbly. And then think as a member. Don't serve for one day. Take the rest of the year off. We, the body, we need you. That is you. Whether you are seven or younger or you are 80 or older or in between, the body needs you. You're not, a, you're not just, I'll just take a week off, like just cut the leg off. We'll, this is what we look at, with, look like without you. Think of, that's, It's kind of sobering, but that's what we're given in the text. That's what we're given from Paul here and from what God says. So if you belong to Christ, you have a spirit-driven part to play in the church and in this local church. And then just think on, I mean, this is just good homework here almost. Think, Lord, how do you want to use me? What gifts have you given? What can my hands do? What does this mind, how have you, maybe some of you, you've already figured it out. And we've talked about this at men's group. There's spiritual gifts, inventories go through. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm in all, all of that, but consider what do other people say? Wow, you, you really serve this way. Or, or ask somebody, ask your family or ask others, what do you see? But consider, consider the gifting God has given you. How are you equipped and then how might God use your talent or your skill or your personality, again, all for his glory? Let's pray. What a, what a way, Lord, in which you have equipped this body with one another. Almost, we think of it in an inscrutable way. You would use us. You would use those sitting from the first aisle to the back aisle in our church together in the varied ways. And Lord, you would. It's what you show us in your word. Lord, I pray for each one. I pray for the five-year-old here. Maybe says, I don't know what my place is. I don't, they talk big. I don't understand all the words. Lord, what place would you have for them? What place would you have those that are 30 or 40 or 80 to be used in the body like a coat hanger, moldable, bendable, maybe serving one day, teaching another day, Spending time with someone, exhorting here, contributing here. Lord, just move within us and lead us. And Lord, I just pray even for each of our own hearts, would you just help us to take time to consider how you gifted us and then go act on it. Use us how you will. May we be moldable in the hands of you, the potter. I pray this in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.